0: to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple, and I can explain it. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, and we're going to talk about it. Um, if you've listened to the show before, it's no surprise that I'm going to talk about a movie. Uh, movies are sort of my passion, my thing I love, and I like talking about, so uh, it's no surprise that I brought on someone else who loves movies as well. Um, my guest today is a writer, a producer, and a director hailing from Chicago. Welcome to the show, Andrew Littlefield. Hey, Tad. thanks for having me. I, uh, You know, it, it's just a matter of time before I got you on here. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to talk to you because it's been quite a while. Uh, we used to run into each other several times a year, even though you're a, a bit of a distance away. It feels like any time I went to a Chicago, a Chicago concert or anything near the area, even if we didn't plan on it, we would run into each other. So I, I really miss that uh, running into you and Liz.
1: I know exactly. Every time you, you know, posted something on Facebook, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. It's funny we we usually would end up at the same spot or at least try to you know meet up or you know talk about the the event or concert whatever we went to and obviously we we try to frequent Snake Alley Film Festival a lot um, so we're excited to to attend again this year as as uh, we heard the that'll be coming back so we're really excited to not only you know be a part of a, a film festival and going somewhere but you know being able to catch up with you and uh, and uh, take in all the festivities as well.
0: Yeah, it's been a long year and however long it's been now. But um, it's like I said, I used to just run into you guys all the time. So what have you been up to? I mean, without concerts, without movies, like what have you been up to in the last year?
1: <laughs> I know we, we've been uh, been trying to do some random short films just with uh, me and my son we would just uh, do like weird quarantine short little 30 second clips he's been playing a lot of instruments both piano and guitar so he would we would he would throw down a track and we would have that as the background music and we would just film each other doing random things in the house so um, it's been that kind of year i think just trying to find Ways to keep yourself entertained and productive. Um, being a writer, I, I've definitely tried to continue that. that uh, you know, that avenue. Not being able to to film or do anything like that uh, with all of the restrictions, it's it's definitely a lot harder to to get a, a group together to to film. But uh, definitely been been writing a lot, trying to continue that and and not lose sight of of that. Um, And hopefully, as things start to open up, and uh, people can start congregating together again, I'm hoping to, to get these these short films into production. Um, So definitely looking forward to that.
0: Very cool. So you've been uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that. But it's like writing, you know, you do you you can do that anytime doesn't matter, you don't have to have like gather people and stuff. But I've heard some creative sort of say like um, musicians, writers uh, sort of saying like there's been this weird pressure over the last year where it's like, well, I I need to create since I have this downtime and it actually um, puts almost too much pressure on their shoulders to like be productive with this, this weird free time that we sort of got um, put onto us in the last year.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I, I think like most people that that do short films I you know I do have a regular day job um so it's for me it was more just a creative escape um so it's you know I love reading books I I I try to kind of incorporate a lot of ideas from from books that I've read uh into into my stories, just because I just love creating characters so um, you know what better time to do, do that when you know you're you're inside trying to find things to do and your mind is always going. Uh, so you know, trying to come up with unique characters that uh, do well in a in a screenplay. Um, so that's kind of what I've been what I've been trying to focus on is is just coming up with different types of stories uh, that either people could relate to or at least interesting enough that people can find it entertaining. Um, Especially, like I said, I think people, as things start open up, people want to want to be entertained, want to have an escape. So hopefully I can kind of provide that with uh, the next couple of projects that that I'm working on.
0: Yeah, it's been sort of a crazy week to two weeks. Um, It seems like everyone was sort of waiting for like the, the okay to start announcing things. And it's like every major music festival, every band I've ever listened to enjoyed is all, they're all touring at once. It's like, it was like bottlenecked up and now it's like everything's flooding and it's a little bit overwhelming because as much as I want to go out and see all the shows and watch all the movies and stuff, it's like, I still like, I, I still have a day job. I still have, you know, you know, things in my life I, I was sort of like i'm not saying like i i loved you know of course it's an awful situation but it was sort of nice to sort of slow down in general and have to like almost be forced to be home a little bit but mm-hmm. um i i think we're all sort of ready to to go back out see live concerts and stuff but just the the um onslaught of stuff in this last week has been just like overload for me it's like hard to to, to remember how much and it's like this summer and fall, every, like so many festivals and so many things going on. So, uh, you know, it's good for people who have been sort of stir crazy. They're going to have a lot to do. But um, are you are you like looking forward to getting back out there and getting back on like the festival circuit and, and doing that kind of stuff?
1: A little bit. I mean, I'm same with same as you, you know, just still very cautious. Um, I, I definitely I think people are going to have a new appreciation. For a lot of this, you know, things that people probably took for granted. You know, simple of, you know, just going to going to a show or even just going out to a restaurant and seeing friends that you haven't seen in, in so long. Um, I, I think people will have a new appreciation for that. Um, so that I'm looking forward to. I'm just looking forward to just interacting with other creative minds and and you know, seeing actors and writers, directors, producers. Uh, see what they have going on. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to watch on Netflix or watch on YouTube or, or something that someone has done, but uh, just to be able to, to go to a festival and to meet those people and to interact. And I think it, it's, you, you kind of learn a lot as well. So festivals can provide so much creative energy uh, for for other filmmakers um, and then just having that atmosphere you know, being in a being, being in a movie theater where everyone is there for the same thing to to see great quality movies um, and to have that experience again it, it's it's something you can't create even if, I, I, even if you have the most expensive home theater, you, you cannot duplicate the experience of being in a crowded theater uh, Smell of popcorn, music, you know, people laughing, people, you know, screaming, whatever. I, I think that is that's something that uh, people will will appreciate again, and I, I really hope that we're we're not seeing the the end of the end of movie theaters because you know there's no other experience like it. That's you know how I feel. Not even just not being not only being a movie lover, but I think just general audiences in general, I think they all should have that same feeling.
0: I agree. I mean, like last year when, you know, things were going south and it was like we had to make a decision on whether we wanted to move uh, Snaf to a virtual festival or postpone it until we could gather people. um, I was very much like, I there and it worked for some festivals, I think at some festivals it was it was uh, cool and they figured out ways to do the virtual thing. But um, our our festival is so small and intimate, I felt like uh, going virtual would sort of ruin the experience. So I wanted to hold off because most of these, especially short films, um, you only get a, a small handful of chances to play that on a big screen in a theater with an audience in person and for me it's like if I go if I went virtual with our film festival it'd just be like the same thing as you guys uploading your films to YouTube you know it's like it it, to me Mm -hmm. it it defeats the entire purpose so um that's why we sort of held off and and why we're rerunning the fest that didn't happen last year this year to give everyone their chance to be seen and be heard and and like you said the interaction is is something that you can't replicate or replace so I, I think you know we're slowly getting back to that but it's like there's just never going to be uh i think you're never going to completely get rid of the theater experience whether it's even if it's just for like film festivals there's always going to be an audience that wants to see it. i mean there's still books being printed despite you know um tablets there's always going to be someone who wants something physical there's still blu-rays being made it's just you know it's 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 a whole different experience that you can't really replace with streaming services. So I agree with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be. The, especially the first run, I, I think now that everything's slowly opening up, I, I like just like concerts, just like uh, everything else. Um, I yeah, I feel people are going to have a new appreciation for all of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I very excited and um uh, I, I think everyone is just yeah, excited to get out, excited to to see things again. Um so yeah, no, I, I think uh hopefully, like I said, hopefully with a uh, couple of projects I got going on coming up and uh next year will will be another uh a, a solid run.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. So um, I had reached out to you, and I, I sort of always lift a curtain on how we came to the subject of the the podcast today, but I reached out to you, and I said, you know, hey, here's a bunch of movies I haven't seen, here's some I love, um, but I always encourage people, if they have something that they truly love, they should uh, suggest it to me, because this podcast sort of celebrates the idea of almost like what we were just talking about. Um, I love introducing movies to people, especially in a, in a theater setting, like th- once again, the festival thing is like when I'm up in the projector booth and I hear uh, people laughing hysterically at a movie or reacting to something, there's no better feeling. And it's like those aren't my films, but I I picked them and curated them. And it's like the best feeling knowing that that director's in the audience and he's experiencing or he or she's experiencing that um, in person, too. So. I reached out to you and I said, you know, what what movie if you had any to introduce to me, what would it be? And you you actually had the idea of a whole film noir uh, series, which I love. Um, you know, eventually I, I do want to have you keep coming back, and we'll we'll keep knocking some off the list because this is like a huge gap in my film watching history. I have almost um, no um knowledge, experience. I, I don't even know what I'd call it, but um it's just this big gaping hole in my filmography of like stuff I've seen. Um film noir is probably one of the least watched uh in my um history. So what is like your uh love for it? Where does that come from?
1: Yeah, I've always loved you know, murder mystery stories, uh growing up, just, just reading different books. Um and I really got into it. I, I don't, something in high school, I think just reading a lot of books and you know, Hardy Boys and, and all the different types of uh, uh, murder mystery, who done it type stories, um, stories my, my mom would read to me. Um, it was, I always found that that genre had such unique characters. Um, and when I when I went to college, I actually took a, a class on, on film noir. So we, we watched, I mean from every every era, you know, starting in late 30s, 40s, 50s all the way up to, to Neo Noir, uh, and actually yeah, ending on LA Confidential. Um, so it was always a genre that you know, not only style wise with, the, the shadows and you know black and white and uh, the atmosphere and just the characters you know you have femme fatales you have these these cops and detectives and you know they're they're all interwoven together to uh, you know come to to, to a conclusion um, you know I've I've always loved loved that uh, style I, I think film noir and horror are two genres that are have such unique characters and it's really hard to capture uh, a, a great film noir and a great horror movie. Um, you know, you really need unique characters. You really need an interesting plot. Um, so I, I think those two genres, they, they really stand out for me as um, re- character-driven, plot-driven. Th- movies that will leave you kind of wanting more or at, at least a, a appreciation for uh, the style. So, uh, you know, th- those have always been, I, I think, the, the two genres that I've, I've really gra- gravitated to. And, you know, I, I took classes, as many classes as I could in, in college on both film noir and horror. Um, and you know, I think they, you know, kind of kind of go together. Um, but I, I just feel that I don't know. I, and it's funny because um, I did a movie in college called Deadline that I wrote, started writing in high school, um, which is you know very very similar, uh, cop detective, you know, murder mystery in the city. Um, you got to figure out who who the killer is my most recent
0: film was uh, Last Scene. Right, I was going to mention where, that one, yeah.
1: Yeah, so Last Scene was, uh, you know, uh, a great uh, character-driven story about a, a writer who's trying to write the perfect ending to his murder mystery. And he's not a murder mystery writer, so he's always written just comedies and dramas, and he's struggling with creating the... Perfect ending to the story, and as he's writing the story, the characters that he's writing about start coming into his world. So, uh, it's very much like Barton Fink, if you're familiar with Coen Brothers, very much very similar style to that. Um, so you know, I I just, I not only the characters and the story, um, but also just the atmosphere, you know, they're, they're so unique. They, they stand out. Um, they leave an impression, uh, with everyone. I feel that watches a movie, they, they have a new appreciation for, for that style.
0: Well, like what I know, like with, you know, uh, giallos and horror, like there's always, um, almost like a checklist of things that you have to have on that. That's like a POV, a killer with black, um, leather gloves. You know the mm-hmm. the knife, the the like over the top bloody murders, but like film noir is, uh, It seems like it's like a detective in a trench coat, like a lit cigarette. I'm I'm just thinking of like stereotypical things. But are, is there anything to you that makes a film noir like specifically a film noir?
1: Well, to me, uh, it's there's there's the femme fatale is. I I think you know uh, dramas, other movies, and can have. Um, you know, corrupted cops and detectives. Uh, but I think what stands out with film noir is the femme fatale character. Mm-hmm. So where you know you don't know which way they're going. You know, they 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 are they good are they good are they bad? Um, they have you know they're very seductive. They they can they can manipulate uh, whoever they come in contact with. So for, you know, for their own purpose or for, you know, someone else. So I, I think the femme fatale is by far the the most unique character that that stands alone when you're when you're talking about a film noir.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like in horror. I mean, not all horror, but it's, it's another stereotype, especially slashers is like the final girl, like they have the final girl. Um, so it's sort of like you said, they, they have a parallel in that way. Um, mm-hmm. but you mentioned it yeah. earlier we're going to uh, today's the topic is LA Confidential They were three cops who had nothing
1: in common Freeze! Big V what are you doing here? Hey you know me I'm keeping the streets safe boys One would do anything to get ahead Are you truly prepared to be despised within a department? Yes sir I am One had his own brand of justice How's it going to look in your report? It'll look like justice That's what the man got. And one loved the spotlight. What exactly do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, Thomas Boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. These people are all in the morgue.
0: And someone has to pay for it. There's something wrong with the night owl I just can't prove it. They thought they had it all figured out. Anything bothering you about the night owl case? fact that you guys won't let it get filed away I didn't kill nobody but what started as a murder Can you talk
1: only to me on this one became a mystery that could cost them everything and why was Susan Lefferts the night owl
0: I don't know I never heard of the night owl till today
1: how about some payback big time we need evidence <sighs> I'll get the evidence it was an information exchange
0: you have any proof? the proof had his throat slit what do you want actually? I just want to solve this thing Even if it means paying the consequences.
1: spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito,
0: LA Confidential. Okay, LA Confidential released September 19th, 1997, written by James Ellroy, who wrote the novel, and Brian Helgeland and Curtis Hansen. Uh, Directed by Curtis Hanson, with a score composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Our main cast, which is a huge, crazy, star-studded cast, but um, the main cast is Kevin Spacey, who plays Jack. Uh, Russell Crowe is Bud. Guy Pearce as Ed Exley. We have James Cromwell as Dudley Smith. Kim Basinger Basinger as Lynn Braken, And uh, Danny DeVito as Sid Hudgens. Uh, It had an estimated $35 million budget with a worldwide gross of $126 million and holds a 99% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, This movie was nominated for nine Oscars and won two. Uh, The two it won for was Best Actress in a Supporting Role with Kim Basinger. Um, Best Writing Screenplay based on a uh, material previously produced or published for uh, the, the screenplay for, obviously. And then uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing and Best Music Original Dramatic Score. So holy cow, this movie has a lot of credentials. Uh, <laughs> I I'll admit, like I remember seeing I mean, I, I this poster with Kim Basinger on the front, you know, as the the blonde bombshell. I remember that. Uh, clear as day Um, I've heard of this movie a million times but I don't think I've ever seen a trailer I don't this has never even really been on my radar so uh, when you recommended it I was all in because I love when I go into a movie with no preconceived notions I didn't I didn't even try to look up any of this stuff until I was done because I wanted to go in um, completely uh, dumb like completely just clean slate um, and yeah this is awesome So why why this one out of all of the film noir that you could have chosen? Is this sort of like a uh, great introduction film?
1: Yes, I I think it's it's a great introduction. I I feel that it has all of the has all of the the right elements. Um, But I, you know, I think this is a great way to to start uh, with with this genre, Um, you know, it, it's it. It always stood out for me as, as what? What's I think what's great about it is it doesn't feel like a period piece. It kind of it, it. has the atmosphere. It has, um, you know, obviously the characters and everything, but it it doesn't like scream like oh, this is a, a period piece. You know, I I think that was the the point that Curtis hansen and the production team was trying to get across was that you know we're gonna make a movie in the late 90s, but the, it's gonna be a, a, a film noir, like with, with amazing characters, uh, amazing uh, twists and great writing. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, this one is just, it, it's at the top of the list for me, not only as a film noir, but a film in general. You know, I think this is, this is by far in my least top 20, if not top 10 films of all time. Um, just because of how well made it is, and it's funny because yeah, when when you when you brought this up, and you know, I saw the a few film noirs on your list, um, you know I'm like oh my gosh, I want to get I want to get back into watching all of these films because it's it's been so long, um, you know I really. I don't sit down and and uh pop in a film noir on you know Saturday afternoon or or something. So it was it was exciting to to go back and and look at it and watch. And actually my, my wife and I watched it together on on Friday night. Um and she's never seen it. So, you know, she went into it completely blind as well. So it was great to kind of have that, see that initial reaction from someone that's never seen this movie before and going back to what we talked about before with that with that movie theater experience where you you know you're you're seeing kind of people's reaction as as you're watching the movie but you're also watching how other people are reacting and and we couldn't stop talking about it afterwards so she was so impressed um, and really really excited to 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 want to, you know, talk about it. So it was, I'm just glad that, you know, we, we got this opportunity to, to bring back uh, a genre that, that I've always loved. And, um, you know, I thought what better way to, to start it with, with than you know, one of my top 10 films.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, we should, we should have had her on. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, that, that's exactly what this, you know, podcast sort of celebrates is like, I want, you know, if I'm introducing someone to something I love, I love when uh, they come back and say, you know, Oh man, I can't believe. And, and I, I never really expected it to be so awesome on the other side. Cause I've actually had so many, it's probably been half and half, maybe even more um, people introducing me to stuff because they see my list and they can't believe what I haven't seen, but I'm trying to embrace that and be like, you know, you only get one chance to see a movie for the first time to leave that uh, first impression. So It's like you introducing it to her, um, you know, you've seen it several times. You know exactly what's going to happen. But it's like it's more about sharing that experience with her and seeing it through her eyes. It's like you're almost I almost get jealous of people when they see something for the first time. I'm like, I wish I could go back and see it for the first time again. You know, (laughs) so that's what's been great. It's like this. This was a awesome first time. Um, Like I said, uh, just a stellar cast. Uh, It's crazy to see like you know we'll have to you know we we can't really avoid the elephant in the room with uh the cast because it's like you know some have gone on to do great things i mean everyone's gone on to do bigger things but you know uh you have like danny devito still working just as much if not more uh russell crowe you know he went on to be huge gladiator all this stuff uh everybody mm-hmm. and then you know obviously like i said elephant in the room kevin spacey with his troubles but um it doesn't really it doesn't ruin the movie that's what's like awesome is that this movie doesn't really have like one lead with having three at least three leads it's just there's almost too many characters in this movie to follow it's just it's, it's so much packed into this and i think it's a little over two hours like two hours and 15 minutes around that um mm-hmm. but it's it's expertly paced like there's never a moment where it drags um if anything I was almost getting confused by how fast it was going I'm like wait what why is this character mad at this guy again and I had to sort of go back and and uh sort of reread a little bit about it and remember what had happened just because uh, this is something I'll probably have to watch a couple more times because so much happens in it but um really really fantastic stuff
1: yeah there, there's definitely a, a lot of names that go go around with as far as the characters, so yeah, it sometimes it does get a little tricky like who whose name who was that? was that the that cop? Which cop was that? Um so yeah, it, but like you said, it, it there's so many characters and you you know when Kim Basinger's character comes into the into the into the film, you don't know like we were, I was talking about earlier with the femme, femme fatale, it's like you don't know exactly which side she's playing uh just because of her character's background and and what she's done um and you know her her interaction with russell crowe's character uh and where that goes you know it's 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 so interesting how they're able to weave all of those characters together and have and you know it all pays off in the end um, you know, so it's it is it is uh definitely uh a film that uh I, I think it does require multiple multiple viewings, um, uh, just just to pick up on on everything. Um but I, I feel that yeah, I just Curtis Hansen worked so hard on, on the script with his partner for, for I think a couple of years. Uh just he was worried that, you know, creating a a screenplay from from the novel he wanted to do it justice uh no pun intended but (laughs) um you know he he wanted he wanted to make sure that it was and he actually turned down several directing gigs while he was working on the script because he wanted to he he was dedicated to, to making making this film and it obviously it paid off with uh, the cast he got with the film itself with the awards uh, obviously it was uh a tough year with coming out the same year as titanic um so uh but and, you know just to get n- that many nominations uh, i'm sure it felt good uh and he, he he went on to to do so many other other projects after that uh, so um you know i think overall it's it's like I said, I, I think it, it captures everything perfectly when you go down the checklist of, all right, what do I expect from, from a film noir story?
0: Right. Well, at the time, I think like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce weren't really huge, like, um, lead actor type names at the, at that point. Um, I mean, they were, no. they were big enough names, but not like, like it took some convincing, um, to the studio to be like, these guys are, are good enough to be two leads. And watching this, it's like, well, they knocked out of the park, obviously, like great casting there. Cause I've, I, I had read, and, and I'm sort of jumping forward, you know, into the trivia stuff, but I had read that, um, they had seen Russell Crowe and Romper Stomper and thought that his, um, like sort of angry demeanor, um, could fit this role perfectly because he's, he's sort of got those like, uh sympathetic eyes and he can be really like a gentle character but when he gets mad he's he's a scary dude um Mm -hmm. and so to me like that makes sense you know that that was perfect casting um he he plays the cop who there's there's three different cops basically um we have jack who is probably represents the most crooked we have uh bud who's sort of in the middle and then we have ed who's like the the at the top of you know clean cop wants to do everything by the book wants to be the good guy and it's interesting watching the progression throughout the film as those characters change and either mature or get more dirty um but they they all are diff, almost different characters by the end of the movie because like you mentioned russell crowe's character bud i mean we, we get introduced to him right away when he beats up a dude who's beating up his wife and it's it's like this christmas setting he what he it's just awesome he, he he fucks up this dude for for hitting his wife and he he sort of clearly has a uh, thing for um protecting women he hates dudes who beat up on women so that's sort of his mo um he's a hired muscle at times uh but he he means well like he, he'll do a dirty job but um it's he has mm-hmm. a con- he has a conscience. he's he's not doing it um for money or sometimes he's doing it for, it, but he's not nearly as dirty as uh Jack is. Who's a consultant on a TV show. Um, who's always trying to boost his own self image by having Danny DeVito's character, Sid, who works at a newspaper, um, always photograph him making these high profile arrests. It's all about his image. Um, he has the biggest ego of all three of them. And, uh, he's clearly the most I, I don't know, it sort of depends on where you stand. To me, it seemed like he was the um, least likable just because of his his ego. But also, I felt like Ed was almost like a too much of a kiss ass where he he didn't mind um, ratting on other other dirty cops to, to climb to the top. And, you know, I won't jump too far ahead, but it's it's just interesting to have these three different cops completely different uh characters in different stages of their careers doing you know just different It, it just three awesome leads
1: yeah I, I agree i think jack's kevin spacey's character had the biggest arc from you know where you see him at the beginning and then um towards the end i i think he he definitely has uh i think his storyline definitely takes the biggest biggest turn Um. You know I think Bud he, he I think his his character, yeah, like you said, he's he's always protecting women and uh, and as as he gets into meeting Kim Basinger's character, you know that 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 continues and um yeah, and and then with Ed, Guy Pierce's character, I, I think you know, he get, he kind of goes through this roller coaster, but he you know, he's always trying to get ahead. Um, and whatever means possible. And he kind of seems like the good guy at most of the times, but then, you know, sometimes it, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to be on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, think the, I think the character that I think most people would, will enjoy just from a storyline standpoint, I, I, think it, it's, I think it's Kevin Spacey. I think Jack, you know, his character, just from, like I said, I think throughout the film, You know, as he as he gets more involved, um, I I think his character has the biggest arc. And um, it's it, you know, with the elephant in the room with with, you know, watching Kevin Spacey films now, um, you know, it's definitely difficult. uh, But with this type of movie, with how many actors are in it, with how many characters, you know, I, I don't think it's it bothers me as much i's i you know still still appreciate it um you know Ellie confidential and usual suspects are you know two of my top films so um you know i still want to be able to <laughs>
0: right to watch
1: them and enjoy them uh without having that you know elephant hanging above my head but um it's yeah i i think his character is you know one that i i've enjoy every every time I watch it.
0: Yeah, and I was I was pretty surprised. Like I like I said, I went into this blind. I was stoked when I heard Danny DeVito's voice like pretty much open the movie. Um Mm -hmm. I love him in anything. He he can be hilarious. He can be dramatic. Um any like I said, he's still going strong. Uh his character is one that you uh sort of hate to love. You shouldn't love him because he's he's like the scum. He's he's I mean he's out basically paying for you know he's taking money taking bribes he's he's here and there he's getting all the scoops um he's sort of behind the scenes doing what he has to do he's hustling but uh he's such i mean it's hard not to love him he's hilarious uh and he's likable in this because he's a pretty nice guy overall
1: oh yeah He, he the way the film opens with that narration it just pulls you right in you get you get you know you get so excited about what's going to happen just from you know the opening, the opening monologue that he delivers, um, and yeah, his his character. You know, he's not in it as much as the other ones, but every time he's he's on camera, he 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 stands out as far as stealing that scene um, and uh, giving the the audience um, either. A, you know, a laugh or, you know, just some, 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 unique, uh, Danny DeVito, <laughs> uh, you know, just, I think he eludes just this great personality, uh, in all his characters. Um, you know, I've, I've always loved him. Even another one of my favorite movies is, you know, Batman returns as penguin. Oh yeah. You know, he just, he just, <laughs> every character he does is, is so, so unique and interesting. And, yeah, in this movie it, it it just goes along with with his style. So um yeah, I his character is great. He like I said, he's not in it as much as the the other main characters, but uh, I think it, it's still still really well done.
0: Well, it's it's really impressive how they balance it because like I said with three leads um it's usually that sort of spells disaster. like try you're're you're, it's almost on paper, it's like trying to fit you know too much into it. but um they balance it so perfectly with the three different stories. They're all d- dealing with their own struggles, but they're also interweaved. like Ed, um he wants to live up to the reputation of his dad, who was a famous detective um, and was killed by a a assailant. he he secretly nicknamed Rolo Tomasi. um he's like like i mentioned earlier he's very by the book um he won't take bribes he he hates dirty cops he actually was it he turned in um bud's uh partner right um yeah and 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 that's why bud sort of hates him because he knows that he's he's a rat he'll snitch on him so um he ends up there. There's a scene where they, they call it the bloody Christmas, where a bunch of cops beat up a, a bunch of dudes in, in the prison. And of course the local paper gets wind of it and it gets out to the media. And he, Ed says, you know, I'll testify against these cops. Um, but I want a, um, promotion. He wants to be detective Lieutenant, um, which would be climbing up really fast. Um, and the, even the precinct captain, uh, smith who's played by james cromwell in a great role too sort of warns him like don't do yeah i wouldn't do this if i were you because uh these guys are going to always have a target on your back you're always going to have to watch your back because if you testify against other cops they're going to come after you but you know you do what you got to do to climb up the ladder and so he does um and then bud like i said he's considered sort of uh by ed he's considered a mindless thug he's sort he's considered the dumb guy but um He he has this obsession with chasing after um, woman beaters uh, gets hired to be sort of a strong hand on um, sort of rough some rough some people up. Um, He was involved in it, too. But later on, like we said, he he ends up running into at the beginning of the film. He actually um, comes to he thinks he's coming to the rescue of Kim Basinger's character um, because it looks like she's been beat up. But it turns out she was having plastic surgery, and this was interesting. I did not know this was a real thing, but apparently, from what I read, like high-end prostitutes that were altered by plastic surgery to resemble film stars was a real thing. Mm-hmm.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I was, I was
0: watching this, and I'm like, is that what this is alluding to? Because at the first, you know, they they sort of do a good way like a good thing of tricking you into thinking yeah she's in the backseat of this car um he goes to pick up liquor for the christmas party and he sees her in the backseat assuming that she had been beat up because she has a bandage on her nose turns out that she's yeah a, a prostitute that had been just had plastic surgery and at that time like i i don't think plastic surgery was you know not nearly of what it is now but it's like i imagine it was very taboo back then and and to do it to make them resemble film stars is it makes sense. I'm surprised that it's not more common actually for like I don't know, today's um equivalent would be like only fans or whatever. But um you think about mm-hmm. like I know there are some, but it's like they this is a whole market of women who made themselves look like film stars. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think that was the you know, James Elroy the the who wrote the novel. That that's what he loves those like, you know he wants to. Uh, he wants to get into the the dirty, the Los Angeles sleaze of you know what was going on at the time, you know, and really draw that out with with his you know within his novel with all of the characters and things like that. So, um, you know, I think that that's a lot has to do with yeah, where the uh, coming from the novel. Um, the source, uh, and I think, you know, Curtis Hansen, you know, was able to, to really pull that into, into the plot, which
0: was, which was fantastic. And you said you had met uh, Curtis Hansen, right?
1: I did. I actually met him at school. Um, this was probably two years after, uh, LA confidential came out. He was in Pittsburgh uh, cause he was working on uh Wonder Boys, which was his film right after LA Confidential with uh Michael Douglas, Katie Holmes, Toby Maguire, um, which is about uh Michael Douglas plays like a washed up uh author who's trying to write his follow-up book to uh you know, a book that was bestseller. Um and he's he's dating C- Katie Holmes, which is like, you know, uh, former student um so he was in he was in pittsburgh for for a few months and he did like a little seminar q a session uh at at, uh at university of pittsburgh uh where it was filmed um and yeah like i said it was right out right right after la confidential so everyone was you know asking about the film and what it was like to work with all all of the different actors and then you know you know working on wonder boys um and it was great it was it was cool to because at at the time as well i was you know all into the film noir classes and and things like that so um i was able to meet him shake his hand got his autograph um you know and that's really kind of what set me down the path of yes this is this is what i want to do i want to i want to write cool characters i want to I want to work with actors I want to direct films like 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 this because um you know they they they're so interesting and unique and um, and that that kind of just sealed the deal with with staying and and getting involved in films and production um so it was it was really cool and yeah I think that was my first taste of uh seeing someone uh at that level of of uh of stardom and uh a guy that's you know behind the camera you know not a not a movie star but a guy that's actually involved with with uh, you know the writing and the directing piece of it which is what I wanted to get into so it, it definitely gave me the momentum and and the the drive to to want to stick with it
0: that's really cool because like I know Personally, I I love more probably behind the scenes stuff than, and I'm not a filmmaker myself. I, I love films, but like I remember there was a time, I think in high school or maybe, yeah, it was probably high school. I was obviously into horror movies, but I watched John Carpenter's Halloween, and, and my listeners are probably sick of me talking about this, but like <laughs> I, I, I had seen, you know, Friday the 13th, I probably had seen Halloween sequels, but I watched the first one and I was like, whoever made this, like, this is this is like the classiest like best looking best like pace just everything about it was perfect so i i sort of got into like i wonder who made this i look it up and find out that john carpenter not only wrote it he directed it and he composed the entire score i'm like oh this guy is awesome so then it sort of got me rolling like i wonder who made this other movie i really like and it sort of started the ball rolling where it went from like just someone who watches movies to someone who is obsessed with them and and uh it's cool that you had the opportunity cuz I mean if if goddamn James Cameron hadn't made Titanic I mean Curtis Hanson would be holding all these Oscars you know what I mean it just he had the the bad fortune of of his movie coming out the same year as Titanic but um I don't know looking mm-hmm. looking back I I always sort of talk about this too is like you know Oscar winners looking back I I've maybe watched Titanic if it's on cable like for a little bit but I never um choose to put titanic on tv where um la confidential this is something i i would actively put on and want to watch um so i think time has probably been more kind obviously titanic was a financial um huge monster it was i mean it it was it was a one of the biggest success most successful movies of all time so it's hard to compare but um personally speaking i would say la confidential like to me, as a as a film lover holds a it's much better, in my opinion.
1: Oh, yes, exactly. And um, yeah, I was I was definitely happy and excited that it won Best Screenplay. It it definitely deserved that. Um, And Kim Basinger for for Best Supporting Actress, which was was well deserved as well. Um, Yeah, it's it's all about timing um, with with the films, but. You know i think yeah that's kind of why i've recommended la confidential it's it's 23 yeah 24 years later and it's it still holds up as probably one of the the best film noirs ever made so um you know yeah i I would i would gladly put in la confidential any day over titanic
0: (laughs) yeah that's Uh, just
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah I, well, I think
0: about like stuff like The Revenant, and it's like, you know, that was a great movie the one time I saw it, but I, I'm never popping that back in, you know, and but I'll watch, you know, it, it's a weird thing. It's not saying that, um, you know, that it's Revenant's a bad movie, but how many times, you know, you have to something has to set, be said about the watch rewatchability of something, you know, it's like Goodfellas I can watch every weekend for the rest of my life and still enjoy it. Um, where, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's an, obviously an award-winning huge picture, but it's like something about movies, you know, the Oscars aren't always the tell all to me. Um, I love watching the Oscars. I, and there's several films that win that I love, but like you said, it's all about timing. If this movie would have came out a year earlier or a year later, um, we'd probably be talking about it, how it, it swept the Oscars. So, um, Anyways, uh, this story is pretty, is, is pretty involved. Um, I, we aren't going to go beat for beat, but basically there's this big robbery and multiple multiple homicide at the night owl coffee shop that, um, Ed ends up investigating. Um, and Strenzlin, who was the, who was Bud's old partner that he ratted out was one of the victims. So it becomes a big deal that one of their, they call him one of their own, um, was killed in this. So it, it becomes a really big case. And so, they arrest these three um african american uh young men they they bring him in uh they end up uh sort of in like interrogating them terrorizing them in in a really sort of intense scene there's some great acting from them in this move in this scene um and again uh bud and ed have some great performances in here too um but this is sort of where uh and when they start investigating further, they discover evidence of corruption all around them. And um, this is where Bud sort of starts a relationship with Lynn, who's played by Kim Basinger. Um, he sort of sort sort of starts falling for her. He's like following her around and always questioning her. Um, sort of becomes like a, he's not he's no longer he's not just a customer anymore. He They're they're a thing. Um and he recognizes Night Owl victim Susan Leffers as one of uh, Patch's escorts. So he starts questioning her about uh, this murder. And so they're they're sort of just investigating this, trying to figure out what's going on. And they, they can't quite figure it out. Um, but as they go, they find more and more corruption within the police force. Uh, and then we have sort of the side story of uh, Jack, who's still, you know, as he's working on this tv show um trying to remember what the actual tv show was called um is like a a cop show of some kind um but anyways he's he's still sort of working with Danny DeVito's character Sid um they're back and forth uh They have some pretty good chemistry. He's paying him off to come and and get pictures of him. I love that scene where they set up the arrest to bring out the couple and get the picture in front of the movie premiere.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, it's a uh, Badge of Honor. Is the, yes. the name of the TV show? Yeah, which is yeah, which is kind of like a, it's like a dragnet style yeah television
0: show, and very ironic. It's like Badge of Honor, and he's like the very dishonorable taking you know uh, bribes and and doing all this stuff behind the scenes.
1: Mm-hmm. Which uh, the I forget the the actor that the lead actor from in that in the Badge of Honor show, he was on Seinfeld.
0: Oh yeah, um, around this time, like there's so many people who were in Seinfeld. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, my wife was like, "Oh my God, that's that's what's his name from from Seinfeld." He was <laughs> he was the gum guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
0: I know who you're talking about. They they're like, he's not crazy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Uh so you know we uh we fast forward I'm trying to think that, like I said this this movie gets the plot very plot heavy um with the twists and turns but eventually um thing like Bud and Ed who sort of hated each other end up having to sort of work together um towards the end and and we talked a little bit about it earlier but like Ed who was very by the book has to make some um moral decisions on it's like, does he, does he still want to go exactly by the book or is he going to have to sort of bend and do things to, you know, uh, save his, his part, like not his partner, but other police officers, like as he's realizing more and more, uh, of the corruption that's all around them. And, and that's, what's to me the most interesting is like these characters having to adjust and, and watching their struggle with, um, what's right and what's not.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, um, you know they're they have a dilemma as far as you know i think james, james cromwell character said it best where you know he was explaining to ed at the beginning it's like you got to you have to be prepared to to lie cheat and steal all in the name of of course of being sure that you the guilty go to jail um so it was interesting that you know that that he's saying that line uh, to add at the beginning, and then kind of how it unfolds from from there, and where we go with the characters, and teaming up to—is it to, are they teaming up for them? You know, for the better good. And, you know, what are they trying to gain out of it? So uh, I think it's yeah, it's interesting how uh, it kind of develops from from there, and you, you know, you're really unsure of of a lot of the characters, and especially James Cromwell, who you know prior to this he's he's the dad and babe like how can you know
0: <laughs> yeah
1: how can he be be a bad guy he's you know he's <laughs> um so it it was another you know another great a great casting job with bringing him in um and he I like how he always tells you know he always calls them good lads <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean he's he's quite a bit older and he's sort of the guy that everybody looks up to And at the beginning, we're sort of assuming that he's sort of like the moral um, compass, like the high ground. He could not be dirty. And then we find out later that he actually is corrupt and dirty. Um, And that's another thing where uh, Ed sort of struggles. But and and I'm really jumping ahead right to the end. But he ends up um, ends up killing him. He ends up shooting him because, you know, that's actually the right decision. He did the right thing. And uh, they end up sort of. Covering for him and saying that they, they want the media to portray him as a hero instead of finding out th- about the corruption. So they they sort of it's sort of a bittersweet ending because they give Ed this like medal of honor, which he he's deserves, but um, almost give it to him for the wrong reason. Because they're like, you know, uh, s- s- Smith was actually corrupt, but they're trying to cover it up by s- acting like he died in this heroic shootout
1: exactly he, they're just he's just trying to he's trying to get ahead and also you know well i'm going to use this the the save face for for the lapd um you know don't want to don't don't want to look have them look bad but what can i gain out of it so you know it just goes back to the beginning of when he got promoted to to you know to sergeant and then obviously then to lieutenant detective and so it's uh yeah it's interesting that He's still still using them even to, to the end to, to get to get ahead.
0: Yeah, because we find out that the three um, black men were framed for the Night Owl murders um, by evidence planted by Smith and his men. So that's sort of like the big bombshell is like, you know, it was actually an inside job. uh they interrogate Lowe and learn that Smith and Patchett, um, aided by Hudgens blackmail photos, have been taken uh, over Mickey Cohen's criminal empire and that the killings were because of Smith tying up loose ends. So he's trying to cover for himself. He's the one that actually had the night owl killings um, done. And then, yeah, we find out, you know, it, it was all him and, and he had been planning and sort of uh, blackmailing. But we have this big sort of ambush and gunfight at the end. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. It
1: was so good with, um, you know, you don't know with all the cars pulling up in in the different spots and, you know, you just see lights coming over the horizon. You're like, oh, my gosh, how many how many people are involved in this in this corruption? And, you know, it's just the two of them. And uh, it was it was so well done, so well shot um especially that that last shot with with james cromwell uh you know walking out and telling ed you know put up put up your your badge so they so they know you're you're a cop and you just have that um that great final uh interaction between the two of them and then you know the the most amazing shot of the movie is that you know ed then coming up Holding, holding his badge up, and you, you just have that that dark silhouette around him with with the the lights of of the cop cars coming up, and if if nothing screams film noir more than than that final shot, you know, <laughs> I don't know what is, but um, you know that such such a great uh, climax scene, and um, you know, once again, just how how everything just came together. Uh, to to you know till the end, it was it was so well done.
0: Yeah, because I think Smith, like after after Ed realizes that Smith is corrupt, he he's like sort of. It's almost like Smith doesn't think Ed has it in him. He I think he actually it sort of comes full circle because at the beginning he almost sort of says, "Are you sure you want this promotion? I don't think you could, you know, shoot a cop in the back if you had to." And then he ends up shooting him in the back. Um, but it's almost like. Smith, when he's walking away, he turns his back to Ed like almost with this um, confidence like that Ed doesn't have the guts to do it because he can't he couldn't possibly shoot another cop corrupt or not. Um, And he tells him, you know, put up your badge in your hand so that they know you're a cop so they don't shoot you as the cops are approaching. And he blasts him from behind. And it's sort of like, you know, what we talked about earlier, it's like that moral decision. He's still a cop, but he is so corrupt and he knows that what he's done this is all on him. It's the right mm-hmm. thing. It's the right thing to do, even, you know, and it's sort of a nice ending just because he does. He, it's not like they, they bury him, but it's like, once again, you know, we see the corruption, but the public in this film, in this movie that, you know, he never outside of dying. It's like he's, he dies a hero when it wasn't warranted at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and you, you know, you yeah, I, I think James Cromwell's character was almost like the narrator um, through the film. You know, he's he has all of these, you know, <laughs> you know, Danny DeVito is as well with,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: his his uh, his monologues. But you feel like every so often, you know, James Cromwell is kind of speaking to the audience um, and wondering what you know what the characters are going to do and and how we're going to react to it. So it was yeah, it's interesting that it's it came full circle at the end with what he said at the beginning and then what happens at the end. So um very poetic.
0: Yeah, and and I noticed like several times throughout the movie um they comment on him wearing Ed wearing glasses. Like a cop doesn't wear those kind of glasses. You can't wear those glasses. Like that was one thing I noticed throughout the movie is that they kept commenting on that for like it was just a, it's one of those things like he did not look like your typical cop. You know, he was uh, always had very nicely uh, groomed hair, wore the fancy glasses. And uh, just something I, I noticed this watch was like them kept they kept commenting on them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He one scene, he forgot his glasses. And <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> one of my favorite scenes. uh of the movie is when um jack and ed go into the uh for is it the formosa cafe mm-hmm. where they 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 talk to uh was it johnny Stempinato who was you know who was involved in all of the cohen killings and uh <laughs> his date gives him some lip and Ed's like a hooker cut to look like Lana Taylor is still a hooker. <laughs> and then and <laughs> and then Jack's like, uh, no, that sh- she is Lana Turner. <laughs> <laughs> she throws the the glass of water or drink into his face. I thought that was <laughs> really well done.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are some of your other favorite scenes from this one? Uh, definitely. Obvi- yeah. The, the shootout at the
1: end. Um, you know, in that final shot that that I mentioned, um, and pri- man, it's <laughs> it's hard it's hard to pick. I mean, um, I think just uh, all of the all of you know just the the scene, the, the atmosphere, and coming coming through, and um, you know. I thought it was all well done. Like I said, I think the lore of, of film noir was was there. But, you know, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't you weren't thrust into like a certain period, um, which, you know, I thought I thought everything was really well done. And I I love the uh, this the scene with um, <laughs> the, the scene where where uh, Bud and Ed go to the D.A. office and, you know, they play good cop, bad cop mm-hmm. and uh, Ed's like, you know, <laughs> and he's, you know, the DA's like, you know, I, I know this drill. I know the good, good cop, bad cop. And then the scene plays out at the way it does with him, you know, being, you know, hung over <laughs> the uh, the ledge of, of the window. And, uh, you know, they pull him back in and he's like, you know, I don't I don't think it's done that way. Have you you know seen it that way before? Um, So, you know, I I love that scene just because that's kind of when, you know, you're kind of enjoying the the camaraderie between between Ed and Bud as they work together.
0: The, The one scene that I thought was great, like a dramatic scene, was when Jack's at the bar and he's just sitting there thinking and he has that $50 bill. And he's, he got it and it's like dirty money. And he's sort of just sitting thinking about like stewing and stewing and he orders another drink, but he doesn't end up drinking it. He leaves it at the bar with that $50 bill on top. And, you know, like nowadays, like you see a $50 bill, it's like, well, yeah, that would cover like three drinks. But, um, back then, (laughs) back then, like at that time, $50 bill, that was like, you know, you might as well leave them a blank check at that point. Um, so, so it was very, um, like I said, it's very like a, a poignant moment. Like it was a statement that he was, you know, he did not really, he didn't want to hold on to that money. He was like, I'm, it was like a, almost like I'm, I'm done with this. Um, because you know, his shenanigans sort of, they end up getting people killed and he has, he struggles with it for like the first time where it used to sort of be, you know, whatever it took to, to boost his ego, to get in the papers, to get, you know, boost, that image that he had of him always making these bigger rests. Um, he was having second thoughts about that. And, and to me, that was like a, a cool moment. Like that scene was really good. Yeah. And I like
1: I talked about earlier, I think his character you know, with several scenes where, yeah, he, he has a huge arc from where he was at the beginning to to the end. And that, yeah, that that scene is evident of of that arc of, you know, he's Trying to do good and not—it's not about getting your name in the paper. It's—it's it's about fighting for what's right and corruption and things like that. So, uh, i think that's why, yeah, I gravitated toward towards his character the most um, every time I watch it. Uh, just because, yeah, of scenes like that, you—you you really feel for the character and you are you you know, you're hoping as much as all of them have a little corruption in them that there's there's still some good in at least one of the characters right you know, and i think that really showed that you know all right i can i can root for someone in this film because you, you you need that you need that person that that you know can relate to and and the, the audience can can gravitate towards
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a strong moment. Again, it was um, too little too late and, you know, he ends up getting killed himself. But uh, it was still like a moment where we saw his his character make a make the do the right thing regardless. You know, like we just saw him on screen change. And and that story, like you said, this character arc uh, really changed from the beginning of the movie till right here because his his character jack was almost sort of separate like he didn't have as much interaction um with uh bud and ed as they had with each other and with smith like he he, his story is almost completely on its own i mean he mostly interacts with sid um he does interact with the other two at times but it's he's sort of over over here while the other two are on you know it's like divided almost
1: yep yeah exactly um and, it, you know, give a shout out for Kim, G- Kim Basinger for, for her Oscar. It was definitely deserved. Um, and I, I think the scene that really uh, hit home for me, and I think the, the reason why she won was that, that scene towards, towards the end where, where Bud comes and it's in the rain. And, you know, he, he finds out what, you know, that, that she... Fooled around with with Ed and it was on all caught on camera, um, and just that scene. You know, she didn't have many many lines, but just you know that emotion and kind of human. You know, she, she's no longer this person that just sleeps with people for for money. You know, she actually has feelings and uh, you know really wants to. Do whatever she has to do to to be with Bud, uh, and I, I just felt that that scene was so powerful, um, you know. And as hard as it is to to sometimes watch with you know what Bud Bud does to her, um, but I just feel that you know their their characters and their relationship just grew from there, uh, and I, I think that 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 scene alone, I think that's that won her the uh, the Oscar.
0: Yeah. Cause it's in sort of an ironic twist. Um, Ed who's been beating up guys for hitting women ends up hitting her, um, sort of becomes what he hates towards the end. And, you know, he's, he's upset because they, sort they sort of set up, uh, her and Ed to have this, you know, so Sid can take pictures, um, and pretty much, you know, piss off, uh, Bud and sort of fuck up their relationship. But, uh, you know, I, I think, he approaches her and she says, you know, well, it's still, I still, you know, it's still a job. Like I'm still a prostitute, whether we're a thing or not. And he was like, well, was that a job or is that personal? You know? And, uh, like you said, she, she's fantastic in this. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know where she was as far as in her career when she did this, but, um, you know, a, a awesome role. And, and nowadays they would try to cast like someone like super young and, you know, well, and, I don't know. I thought she was uh, just well cast. I, I loved her in this uh, like a beautiful blonde and, and with acting chops. They gave her some some line some great lines. And like you said, a great performance.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like I talked about it, femme fatale characters are what make a, a film noir great. And she yeah, she embodied that character so well and, you know, the, her her dialogue and just her her scene presence uh it it was so so well done and yeah she i i think it was probably towards the end of her her big movie career um and i i think Curtis Hanson just wanted that that experience to really nail the character and and she did and and yeah definitely well deserved
0: yeah i think i had read and it might be in the trivia coming up but i think i had read that in the novel it was played by a much it was like a much younger character but he decided to go with her just because of how good she was and you know i think like i said they made the right choice but um, speaking of i have all kinds of trivia to get to but um we'll hear from the prescribed films podcast network and take a quick break and we'll be right back Okay, so not much of a surprise. Like I said, this uh, movie, being as iconic as it is, has all kinds of trivia. And so I scoured through uh, some of the stuff I found that was very interesting, I thought was uh, cool, and uh, pulled it up. And I'm sure you might be able to add some stuff because you're a fan of this. Um, But at the time the film takes place, no building in Los Angeles was allowed to be taller than City Hall, So the cameras were placed at a certain at certain points so that any building taller than City Hall would not be seen. So uh, they made that conscious decision like down to that detail uh, in this movie, which something that I would never think of. But it's the difference between me and an Oscar nominated filmmaker.
1: Yeah, I think uh Curtis Hansen he I I think I don't know Dante Spinodo Spinoti he was a cinematographer um on this and I I think he yeah I think Curtis Hansen is is definitely a detail oriented guy and um you know he wanted to to make sure that that everything was was on point with with that that time um and just you know and, but once again, I, I think the the background and the atmosphere it played well in, in some scenes. But I, you know, you like you really don't get lost in in the background of what's going on. You know, everything's happening in the forefront, which I think was purposeful. You know, and but. You know, so you're you're and that's how well the movie is, is that you're you're not really, oh, you know, look at that building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're drawn into the characters and what's happening right in front of you. Um, and everything else is just a nice backdrop. But I'm sure, yeah, he wanted to make sure that everything was was on point with with that time.
0: Yeah. James Elroy describes the character of Bud White as the biggest cop on the Los Angeles force, noting that he wasn't even six foot. Russell Crowe decided to move into an apartment so small that he had to duck to get into doorways and could barely stand up. Crowe said that this worked in making him feel like a giant by the time he came to the set to shoot. So like he he literally just moved himself into a tiny apartment to make himself feel bigger and it's pretty pretty interesting but uh you know sort of method but um not quite like uh daniel day lewis crazy or something um
1: (laughs) russell what's 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 funny is you know didn't he just play like a a crazy guy that follows people in a car yeah russell um (laughs) it's funny how, how far he's come you know he's worried about a character being too tough and now he's you know He's known for for playing that that type of character. Yeah.
0: Not even just known for that character. He's sort of known as like a scruff, scary guy in real life. Uh, (laughs) Russell Russell Crowe recalled that James Elroy told him that Bud White doesn't drink. So Crow Crow didn't have a drink for the entire shoot, which he described as the most painful period of his life so uh oh, wow apparently yeah apparently <laughs> going however long this shoot took not drinking was the most painful period of his life just because he couldn't drink um
1: that that probably helped his character get you know oh, more tough and oh yeah to, you know break things and
0: <laughs> <laughs> he probably yeah a little irritated underneath uh underneath it all uh curtis hansen cast russell crowe after seeing him in romper stomper he found him repulsive and scary but captivating i sort of touched on that earlier but um Again, just really great casting. Uh, Curtis Hansen did not want the film to be overly nostalgic, so he had cinematographer Dante Spinotti shoot it like a contemporary film and use more naturalistic lighting than in a classic film noir. He told Spinotti that the film's production designer, Gianne Upperwall, to pay great attention to period detail, but to then put it all in the background. So that's pretty much exactly what you just said, um, you know, he he was detail oriented, wanted to make sure things were right, but, um, don't make it the point of the movie. Don't make it distracting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah, like I said, that's, I think the goal with, with a lot of movies and I mean, unless you're, you know, you're trying to show off what's going on in the background is, you know, have these amazing characters and that's kind of, you know, just just the backdrop. You're you're not really focused on on that as far as being a,
0: a part of the film. Exactly. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who got an Academy Award nomination for this movie score, replaced Elmer Bernstein. So, um, you know, sometimes that stuff happens and it ends up being like even better. Um, I I love the score on this. I'm I'm a big score fan. As obviously, I saw you at Hans Zimmer, like in Chicago a few years back. Um, you know, just one of those shows that blew me away. But, you know, I just something about film scores. I listen to them while I work all the time. And and Jerry Goldsmith, obviously a legendary name in uh, film scoring. Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, to to have him uh, involved in this, that you know, that definitely shows the 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 quality um, and such a unique style. Um, And yeah, it's film noir is, is you know, it's it's hard to, to create something, something unique that that goes well with with the type of genre it is. So I, I thought, yeah, he, he well deserved um, as far as uh, an Oscar nomination.
0: Yeah, because people always associate like film noir, at least in my mind, um, with like sort of quiet jazz, little trumpet, little horns in there, um, you know, some some uh, tapping, some of that kind of stuff in uh, and- And once again, sort of like we talked about putting it in the background, like I think it's important, especially in a movie with three leads, that the the score be good, but not take over. Like, I I absolutely love Danny Elfman, but sometimes when you're watching uh, a movie with a Danny Elfman score, you're almost it's almost distracting because it's it's almost a character on its own. I think there's something to be said about a score that does its job without um, being in your face, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely yeah, I think it's the same thing with like you know, John Williams with uh <laughs> E. T. and and Jurassic Park and all of those films where it's like, yeah, the music alone is is uh so <laughs>
0: Right. Iconic So yeah. in your
1: face and iconic and just like, Oh my gosh, you could just almost just close your eyes and yep, I know I know what film that is.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's he's like the last one I really have on or one of the last ones I have on my list of like, I want to see him before he's gone. Cause he's, he's getting up there. Uh, he, I know he does. He used to, at least before um, COVID, he was doing like one show, at least one show a year at the LA bowl. And, uh, and I really Brian crew, I think he goes like every year. I'm like, man, I, we need to make that trip just to see him before um, we lose him. Just, you know, I hate to say it, but he's, he's not getting younger. So uh, that would be you know seeing Hans Zimmer, seeing him. Uh, John Williams would just be you know just sort of getting that one off the list. But um, this film cast includes three Oscar winners: Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, and Kim Basinger, and three Oscar nominees: James Cromwell, David Stairhern, and Danny DeVito. Uh, or Strathairn. Sorry. Um, yeah. So great cast. We've talked about that. Uh, just stellar. And and. You know, I could still. De- Devito still has a chance. He can still win one. Um, the only <laughs> yeah. this is the only best pick, best Oscar, best picture Oscar nominee of the year to be uh, also nominated for adapted screenplay. And you know, ended up winning screenplay. Um, in today's currency, the fifty dollars that Jack receives from Sid and uses to pay for his drink is worth uh, $500, which makes Jack's decision even more significant. So I, I sort of mentioned that earlier, but, um, to know that like the, uh, equivalency of inflation, that it'd be worth $500 now. I don't know how accurate that is. I just pulled it from IMDB, but, um, you know, I watching it, I knew, you know, back then $50 was a lot more than what $50 is now. Um, yeah definitely a lot more drinks (laughs) yeah 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 and then the final one i had on here was uh kevin spacey had a great deal of difficulty playing dead it was easy enough for him to stare straight ahead when there was an actor or actress in front of him but his first instinct was to follow james cromwell with his eyes when he moved he had to ask a production assistant to draw a circle for him at which to look on the opposite wall so you know that that scene where he's killed um is a heavy one for sure. Uh, and I, I never would have thought he had a hard time because it's very believable and, and a great scene. Not that, you know, any scene where a death happens is great, but his performance in it is fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, especially since he's already won, he already won an Oscar half, you know, prior to this film with uh, Usual Suspects, so... Um, that's interesting that he had a, he had a, well, he didn't die in Usual Suspects. So he, right. he's not used to uh knowing what it's like to, to die on film.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think now, like how many, how many films did he get killed in, you know, but it's, it's also something to be said where like he was not, if someone's struggling, finding a way to get to that place and figuring out what it takes to do it in, rather than just like, put in a half-assed performance or recognizing where you you're not nailing it and wanting to get it right you know especially in such a heavy scene
1: yes exactly and that that's being a director uh, it's you yeah you, you want that you want that right take that right shot where yeah it's believable the the audience can can understand and and um and yeah it's tough because because actors they they want to they they want to give you the best quality um with everything they do so um you know i think that's that's where a director comes in and 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 works with the uh works with the, the actor to to go over and, and rehearse and, uh, try different, different takes and, and really, um, give give the actor confidence to, to know that, you know, this is, this is what we're looking for. This is, and then give them whatever motivation they need to, to, to really nail the scene.
0: Yeah. That's what I like having filmmakers on as a guest because it's like, you you understand that you're understanding it from the other side of it, you know, as someone who works with the actors and, uh, you know, your, your perspective is is an interesting one that I don't have. But um, as we sort of wrap this up on L.A. Uh, Confidential, what do you have any final thoughts, anything um, that I, I might have missed or anything that you th- you wanted the audience to know? Try to maybe convince them they need to see this if we haven't done so in the last hour. <laughs> yeah, I know. I
1: hope everyone is gonna after they listen to this are are gonna go out and, and watch it uh, um, and appreciate it as much as as we do. Um, no, I you know, like I said, I I think for a film that that's twenty four years old now and how well it holds up is pretty amazing. Um, and I'm I, you know, unfortunately, Curtis Hanson passed away I think five or six years ago. Um, so. You know, to, to be able to to still appreciate all, all of his work that he's done, um, you know, I think it'll it'll live on forever uh, with, with this fantastic film. Um, no, and it, it's it's fun to see actors that, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, have gone on to do so many bigger things. And yeah, Guy Pierce, Russell Crowe, this is like their first big American movie. They were all, you know, they, they pretty much did stuff in Australia at the time. Um, and it was funny, I think uh, I read something about how Elroy was in Australia while the movie was in pre-production, and uh, the audience member asked him if they were going to ad- ad- adapt any of his novels into a film, and he actually, he, he's like, yeah, actually, we're, we're working on LA Confidential, and we actually casted two native Australian actors, and Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe the audience bursted out into laughter because they, they, they did he was not joking. believe yeah, yeah they, they did not believe anything yeah, like and russell or guy pierce was in the audience um and it was yeah it was pretty funny he's probably mortified um, <laughs> yep so um no i i think it, i was like i said I, I was just excited to to go back and and start watching film noirs and appreciate this type of a genre. And, you know, I always, with, with the last movie I did, uh, Last Scene, which you can watch on YouTube and and Vimeo, uh, where Vimeo, I have a count on Vimeo uh, with, with all of my short films. Um, But Last Scene is, is a great little piece. uh, And, you know, it's 12 minutes and, unique characters um, great atmosphere great music um and i think a lot of that had to do with with uh seeing a film like la confidential uh and seeing uh a great work a great artist at work with with curtis hansen um so yeah i think everyone on listening should should definitely go out and and watch the film
0: Well, that was like a perfect transition there. Like when you mentioned your film, cause I was just going to ask you, um, where can my listeners find more of your work? See what you're up to? What do you, what do you have going on outside of, you know, you said that you had some, had written some stuff during, um, this year long break that we've had. Uh, so what's coming up for you and, and where can they find more of your stuff?
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, check out my, my account on Vimeo, um, have, uh, about five or six shorts on there, all different genres. I've, I've done a documentary uh, called Why We Walk. I've, I've done a couple of dramas um, and yeah, film noir with last scene. Um, I did one, like I said, back in college called Deadline. Quality is not as great as my more recent films, but um, you know, college budget, it, uh, (laughs) it did the job. It it got me. uh, you know got me a grade for for film school um so uh you know yeah so i'm i'm working on uh a couple of of new new projects of uh, or actually uh you know i i'm working on another another film noir that i'm kind of trying to um incorporate with last scene um and so that, that's still in development. It's a lot of more characters. It, it has to do with like, um, you know, a, a, a cop and, and a couple that are trying to to get out of the city. And there is um, an encounter at, at a local bar and they're trying to make off with, with money from, from the bar. And, you know, a, a detective comes in because he is trying to track down another uh suspect that that's on the loose, he's kind of like the, a mastermind uh behind all of it. so the all the characters have different backgrounds and they kind of interact all in this one location one night and uh you know see what happens at, as uh, the night unfolds and then um the other project I'm working on is is actually based off of a, a horror film that I did. In, in college as well. It's called When the Clock Strikes, which is a um a film I did with kind of it's your classic stalker, you know, uh film. Uh yeah, but, you know, your your classic horror female character. Um and but it's kind of it takes place in modern day where it's a couple or you know a blind date where a guy comes over to uh to a girl's house, and they actually watch when the clock strikes. Okay. Um, and so you um, kind of see what happens as they're as they're watching the film, um, and you kind of get a perspective of of both from the you know the female and the the male watching the film, and kind of a little twist on you know how a female perceives horror versus a male, um, because you know as you know horror films have you know, pr- predominantly the female are the ones that are stalked and, and killed. So you kind of see, see it through both of their eyes.
0: That's cool, like a movie within a movie. You got your movie playing in the movie. Exactly,
1: yeah. So I'm trying to, trying to finish that up. And then um, hopefully, like I said, now with things starting to open up more and, and get the crew back together and uh, hopefully uh, start production sometime in the fall.
0: I'm excited to hear that you've been productive and that you're you're sort of uh, ready to get rolling because that's you know we met through the film festival and and I've loved all of your projects, and it's been great having you, you know, at the festival as a guest and get to know you as as a person and uh, just you know, like I said, so thankful to have you on here um, and and r- I miss running into you and Liz at concerts, and hopefully that will get back soon. Um, you also mentioned that you're doing some voice like you're you're learning some voiceover stuff that's really cool
1: yeah so uh i was really interested in in understanding and and getting more involved with um yeah voiceover work and you know getting involved in stuff like this like podcasts um so i yeah i started a class a few weeks ago and Got all the equipment, and we're we're doing like different uh, advertisement pieces, like for for cars, and you know radio ads, and kind of understanding the different types of style for every ad. Whether you know you want to be, you have to be loud and fun and energetic, versus you know low and you know you know more more John Hamm Mercedes commercials. <laughs> um, so you know it's interesting to to get. That perspective and understand all of the different styles that go into selling a product and getting people excited about something um so it's it's definitely i want to get more involved in it uh whether it be actual voiceover work or you know starting a podcast or just you know getting involved however i can um because you know i just I just want to learn new things and i I did a project um you know, not too, not too long, long ago, I think, yeah, last year, uh, put together a little project called Scripted Life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I, I use a lot of uh, home footage of, you know, me as a kid growing up and kind of intercut that with, um, you know, looking through a photo album to, that will trigger all of these memories. And through that, I, I did my own voiceover. So I, I narrated a poem that uh, that went along with what was going on within each scene. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to get that more, you know, an understanding of, of what it takes to even do work like that. So if, you know, as I continue to make more films, is there opportunity to do more of my own voiceover work to apply that to, to the films?
0: yeah that's i mean you're just always doing something new like you're just you're never content with sitting down that's what i love about like so many of my guests they always sort of um, motivate me to keep going because it's like you know you, you never just are content you now you're just learning you, you're you just like oh i want to start learning about voiceovers i'm gonna learn this it's like i don't know man just everybody i talk to has always got a million things going on and i love it um just sort of that mentality of a filmmaker, especially like indie filmmakers. They, they sort of have to have that mentality to to have a million things going at once to to keep that candle burning. Um, but yeah, and, and that's I
1: just I just love just knowing. Yeah, just understanding all of the different aspects of, you know, filmmaking and production and what it takes to to do all of these things. And, um, you know, I, I just feel that the, this past year has just given me that that motivation to to just want to learn new things, get involved at, 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 with whatever I can, whether it's you know just making home videos with with our son or or taking classes, uh, reading books, or you know watching old films that I loved from the '90s that uh, to, to get on a podcast with. So yeah, um, you know just yeah uh, whatever whatever. It, whatever is involved with filmmaking, I, I, I want to know more about and just understand the process, um, and that kind of gets me motivated and makes me appreciate everything that that's involved with filmmaking.
0: So what if if we're you know our next episode that we come back for the film noir series, um, what would be like your second or third pick? Like what's ne- what would be next?
1: Um. Ooh, that's a tough one. So. If you want to go old school that you know definitely uh double indemnity okay. is uh Billy Wilder from 1944 um, is a great uh the big sleep Howard Hawks from 1946 uh or yeah Maltese Falcon is another fantastic John Huston film uh from 1941 um any one of those you 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 know pick one of those you you won't be disappointed and then Add you know that there as we get later on, you know get into the neo noir uh, like the seventies eighties nineties the long goodbye which is uh, from nineteen seventy what was it seventy three it actually has uh, if you're uh, a friends fan it's uh, Monica and Ross's dad Elliot Gould is the the lead in in that film Robert Altman okay. directed that which is, yeah, it's a, it's a good, good mystery. Um, and he's pl- he plays a private investigator. Um, and then another, another great one that the, is it the Wachowski sisters
0: now? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you're right, yeah. S-
1: siblings. Um, so uh, they did a film uh, be- right before they, you know, they, they did the Matrix films called Bound which uh, is another great neo-noir um, film, and it definitely has very low budget. I, I think that film is what got them the budget they needed for The, the Matrix, um, but it has a lot of great noir um, characters and, and style to it. So there, there's, there's a lot of fantastic uh, film noir films to, to watch.
0: Excellent. So, like I said, we'll we'll have to have you back and uh, do at least a few of those uh, in the future. But one thing I, I like to ask my guests also is, um, since this is sort of the theme of the show, what's a big movie that has been on your list that you've never seen? Like, just get it off your chest. Let Let everybody know you haven't seen this movie that people might be surprised.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> um... is the 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 uh it's a martin scorsese film
0: see i I have several of those on my my uh letterbox list that i send out and i've heard from several people who i've i've you know asked to guest on here they're like what do you have against uh marty and i'm like i just haven't seen a lot of his early stuff i've i've seen his stuff like mostly while that he made while i was alive but um the stuff that he made before I was alive, I haven't seen a lot of. And, and I really have enjoyed having I did uh, Mean Streets as an episode. That was great. OK, Yep. But. Um.
1: Not Taxi Driver, it was um, Raging Bull.
0: OK. Yeah, that's on, I own that on Blu-ray, never opened it, never seen it myself. That's another thing like. I need to watch it. Okay. I own it. I, why don't? I, why haven't I seen it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've owned it for years, yeah. and it's just one of those things. It's sitting on my shelf, collecting dust. I need to watch it, but I, I especially now that I have this show, it's sort of a double edged sword because it gets me to actually get off my butt and actually, I mean, and then get back on my butt after I put the DVD in and watch something. But um, also, I feel like I can't just watch movies for the first time without booking a podcast about it. So it's sort of a strange double-edged sword there but um it's good that, that do you feel better you got that off your chest that you, you let people know you know raging, I did, raging I bull did. I, it's it's a it, i think it's a <laughs> it's probably an oscar winner it's a, it's a big deal so you know maybe uh after we do a few film noir we can visit that one since it's the first time for both of us Perfect. Yeah,
1: that sounds good.
0: Well, thanks again so much for coming on. It's been awesome catching up with you. I've missed, like I said, I've missed running into you and Liz in in Chicago. Are you guys going to the Hella Mega Tour at uh, Wrigley?
1: We are not, but we're definitely interested. We're looking at Lollapalooza since they just announced that. So
0: Yeah, that and like Riot Fest is crazy. Like, Chicago is going to be crazy this summer and fall, so...
1: Oh, my gosh. People are going to be, yeah. Chicago is, they live for summer because we, we have eight months of, of, you know, winter. So yeah. when, when it hits 75, 80 degrees and there's festivals and concerts and all sorts of things going on, people people come all from all over, uh, which is great, which is what we love is why we, you know, why we live here. We, we feed off of it. And I, I think this summer will be the summer where yeah everyone is out and appreciating and and uh really uh you know <laughs> enjoying everything outside and, and just being around people and music and films and wh- whatever whatever it is i think people are gonna take it all in
0: i agree and like i, I just hope everybody re- like you said i hope everybody uh sort of realizes how great we had it before and how we need to appreciate like every show every movie just I, I mean i'm just going to see like i went and saw uh spiral the other night wasn't wasn't it's not an award winning movie it's not fantastic but i was just happy to sit in the theater and see a new movie you know oh my gosh
1: i can i can't wait I, i'm ready i'm getting tickets for a quiet place 2 i yeah. just want to have that i want to have that feeling of you know that oh shit you know people jumping out and uh, you know just being scared in a the theater and Eating a uh you know, a huge tub of popcorn. Um and just yeah, just taking it all in. Uh I did see I did see the uh Godzilla versus Kong, which was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, you can't watch that movie at home. No. Nope. That, that that movie needed surround sound, needed huge screen. Um and I, I yeah, I think I'm excited to hopefully have at least a few summer blockbusters coming out this year that I will, you know, be the first in line to to get a seat. So definitely looking forward to that.
0: Me too. I, I actually had tickets to Quiet Place Two um when it was supposed to come out last year. I, I I was the first one to buy tickets. I had them physically printed in hand and then they announced, you know, we're postponing it and then it was like it's going to come out September. Obviously that didn't happen. then they, they kept resetting dates. So to say I'm excited is an understatement. Cause I've actually still have my original tickets and, um, you know, I've, are they, are they going to be valid?
1: Are they going to be, you're going to be able to use them? No, no. I talked, <laughs> I talked
0: to the manager and, uh, you know, he, he had refunded them. So he's like, you know, just rebuy them, but it's sort of a cool memento like to hold on to and be it like, is. you know, I have tickets from when, this was supposed to happen hopefully it will look back on this last year look back on 2020 as a small blip on our you know lives like this hopefully nothing like this happens again hopefully you know this is like i said just a small period in a uh, much bigger book and it's not something that we repeat in the future but um Oh yeah. It's, it's been great having you back on, man. It's so good. Like I said, to catch up. If I don't, if I don't end the show, we're going to talk all night. So, um, (laughs) I'll I'll let you go. But again, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put a link to your, your Vimeo page. So people can check out your films. Um, if you are in the Iowa area, come check out his film at Snaf in August 5th, 5th through 8th. We have a lot of great short films. You can come say hi to him. Um, come see a lot of great films, meet filmmakers. It's going to be a blast. Uh, Thanks so much, Andrew.
1: Thanks again, Tad. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to our to our next uh, film and podcast.
0: Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.